What's up my fellow scruffy looking nerf herders and welcome to the Carbonite Chat. Today we're going to be talking about Marvel's Avengers Infinity War Part 1. This is a movie that's the biggest movie of all time at this point. It actually ended up beating out Force Awakens and there's a lot of discussion on it. I've seen some reviews but nothing that really broke it down the way I like for movies to be broken down. So I decided I would break it down and go through it scene by scene, kind of like I did with my Last Jedi. And that Last Jedi one, I, was, I wasn't I was happy. It was a terrible movie, in my opinion. And for this movie, I will be breaking it down somewhat similarly, but not as much. And the large thing that I wanna get across right off the bat is this is not a hate against the Avengers Infinity War. I actually enjoyed it. I've watched it three times now, I believe. And uh, I think it's, I, I gave it a B to give you an I'd give it a B. I think for the most part, it's very good, but I think there's some kind of glaring issues that they just kind of skipped out on. And I think that a lot of it has to do with they were kind of hanging off of the prior movies and expecting too much out of the audience in those moments, but it kind of hurts the movie as a whole and I'll get into each one of them as I go. As I said, I'm going to go through scene by scene. But I want to clarify, this is just trying to give a, a deeper analysis and break down each little story point and why certain things might not have, you might have felt like something was a little bit off or you know, this just wasn't quite as good as some of the prior movies that they've done. I consider this maybe like fifth or so best Marvel movie in my mind. Um, again, it's, it's really good. When I first watched it, it was kind of around a B minus, but looking into it a little bit more, I give it a B and the scope of what they're trying to pull off is absolutely incredible. It's very bold and I give them credit for trying to pull off something so large. And so this is not hate because this was a humongous challenge that they worked really, really hard on to try to pull off. And for the most part, they really pulled it off, but there's some things where it was kind of like, why'd you do this? Why didn't you do this? These little bitty fixes that could have kind of put it together a little bit better in my mind. But because this is gonna be long, I wanted to just clarify before we go forward, as I'm kind of talking about issues, this is not hate at all. This is strictly just trying to point out little critical things and, you know, in a positive way. Every movie has some form of mistakes in them and I just, I wanna bring them out, not in a hateful way, but just in a open your eyes and maybe give you an idea Maybe, you know, open up the minds of what some things that could be done for future things. There's a part two coming. Just try to look at it in a different way. Um, and also, I know uh, quite a few people are not very happy with the movie. So maybe I can make it show a little bit better, you know, the positives, as well as help them maybe understand some of the things that kind of just got on their nerves. But anyways, let's go ahead and get into it with scene one. This is, in my mind, a beautiful intro to the movie absolutely love the intro you end up getting to meet it's right off of thor ragnarok which i guess i should clarify i'm not the biggest marvel person i've never really been into marvel uh i ended up jumping into this one but i haven't seen all of the marvel movies or even that many of them i haven't seen the most recent ones i saw black panther but i didn't see thor ragnarok or the Amazing Spider-Man. So I got some little spoilers in that, but apparently this was following right after Thor Ragnarok. And it works out perfectly because it sets up many things, some of which I don't think were paid off completely, some of which I think were, but I think overall, this is a very great scene. You start off with Thanos, and we've, all, we've really only had hints of him, so showing him and letting us really get to understand who he is is really, really smart. Smart's off, it starts off with Maul's, 
who I think, again, that's something we'll get to a little bit later. I think he was the, the best villain minus Thanos, and I think it's unfortunate they killed him off kind of quickly. He was the first villain to be killed off. I think that was a waste, but he's going through, and it's very interesting kind of set up, build up Thanos, and then you meet Thanos. And once we meet him, you kind of see the little intimidation factors, and then Hulk shows up. And then when Hulk shows up, you're like, Okay, here we go. And then the great moment where Moss goes, no, let him have his fun. And then we see Hulk get his butt whooped. I mean, just demolished. It was no competition. And this sets up one part of Thanos that he's, he's that's the strongest that the Avengers have as far as just sheer brute force. And Thanos dominated him. So that establishes his strength and his power. And shows that he's not going to be, you're, you can't compete with him on that level. So it's a great kind of establishing of who he is and his abilities. And then also it's a great establishing for the character of Bruce Banner and Hulk. Because this is the beginning of Hulk from this point on not wanting to come back out. And it's something that the character of Bruce Banner has to work through. And also, you know, there's some humor that comes out from this that I think is very fitting for the story. Because I'll talk about some of the humor that isn't really fitting for the story. It doesn't. Does it do anything for the story? But this as a whole, the Hulk thing, I think works really, really well from the very beginning. From the point where you see him getting beat by Thanos. It establishes Thanos, but it also establishes the story that moves forward with the Hulk slash Bruce Banner. Now next, you get Thor and Loki. And Loki trying to, basically Loki ends up giving him the crystal or the gem, which that happens before Hulk. And then you have, after he's got that, Loki tries to trick him and deceive him. And this is something that Loki's always gotten away with. He's the longest running villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he has actually tricked everyone. He's very smart. His, his skill is his wit. And he immediately gets shut down by Thanos and is stopped. He does it. He's not able to pull it off. So this shows a different side of Thanos. He's not just this big, huge brute force of strength. He's actually pretty smart, and he knows what's coming, and you're not going to outwit him. You're not going to trick him. If you do, it's going to take something very spectacular because the naturally witty, kind of deceitful, tricking person, Loki, failed right off the bat. So it establishes two sides of Thanos and his strength. And also, he then kills Loki, which is a huge point for the fact of, you know, hey, maybe people can die. And then also on the fact of showing that this character that's been going for so long, to Thanos, it's a few seconds and he's done with. But the other thing, again, it sets up the story of Thor. And I think this was beautifully done. I don't, I think from the middle chunk of the movie, they kind of wasted it a bit where you have a great intro and a great ending. But I think they kind of lacked in the middle there. But this really sets up Thor and his desire and his story going forward. Where now he has a true kind of passion to go forward and try to accomplish this task in trying to kill and get revenge for Loki on Thanos. And I think those were all done very brilliantly well. And then we have a great transition and a transition in action from Hulk being shot down to Earth that moves us into scene two. Where we meet Doctor Strange as Hulk flies down and informs him of what's going on with Thanos. We then cut to Tony Stark talking with Pepper Potts. Now here, I think is one of the things that they kind of failed on. That they could have done something to kind of add to the emotion of the entire movie. Now we have 
Tony talking about that he's kind of wanting to have a family that he's envisioned that maybe Pepper Potts is pregnant and that maybe that they're about to have kids and she tells him no. And it ends up just being along the lines of, you know, hey, I promise that I'm going to be around more. I'm not going to fail you. And then he fails you. But we've seen that already quite a few times. It's the ongoing thing between him and Pepper. So my thing is once they kind of have that and you're like, oh, he's failing her again. Ha ha ha. It's it's there's no more emotion to it. I mean, like you kind of realize like, oh, there's the potential. And I don't even know if anybody many people thought about it because I didn't think about it. So I just said it now. But like maybe you've got the whole thing where maybe she disappeared and that's going to add to the second movie. But that could still have added to the second movie because we know that he cares about her. But I think it would have done more if when he mentioned something about wanting to have a family and instead of her making about like, oh, you're never around, make it along the lines of like, hey, aren't you don't you already kind of have a son, you know? You and that Peter Parker kid, he's always around, and we both know he looks at you like a father figure. He lost his father and then his uncle, and he's all about you. And, you know, shouldn't you worry about raising your son you've got now before we worry about having some of our own? Something along those lines. It would be very fitting. It fits perfectly for the characters and the story that's been going on. It would have fit perfectly with the story as it went. As I said, there's going to be spoilers in this to the very end. It was a very emotional when Peter Parker's like freaking out, worried about that he's about to you know go. And he's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then he tells Tony, I'm sorry. How much more would it have meant? If you would have known that Tony is seeing him as his son and he was wanting to have kids and Pepper was like, yeah, I don't think you're ready for that yet. And then here he is with the kid and then the kid died. I think that would have added so much more to the story and it could have been built upon as the story was going on. But the Pepper Potts saying it's like by the first 25 minutes when he's about to fly off into space, he loses call with her. There's no kind of hit back to Pepper or this conversation. So like, what's this conversation for? I'm sure it's setting up the end of the entire thing where he's going to kind of be done as Iron Man and move on and have a family. But that's, again, you're relying too much on multiple movies. And you can still have that and still have that emotional meaning, but you could have added some depth to this story and emotion to this story between him and Peter Parker because him and Peter Parker are together throughout the entire movie. And I just think that would have added a lot. But then, so he gets it, he moves forward. They have their kind of humorous back and forth, kind of gives a little bit of exposition about what's going on in case you haven't seen this stuff prior. You know, explains the gems. It explains the Hulk, like what's going on, why they've broken up. And I did like this one thing being held off to the next movie that Stark cannot call Cap. And he never ends up calling Cap. And I think that's a nice little thing. Like They never came together. And that's going to have to be something that they do in the next movie. And I actually like that kind of, that little piece. You, you need to hold some things off. And I like that that was held off. The thing with the Spider-Man is you could have held off one thing. And then you could have kept something here to be super emotional for those characters that are together. I think they missed some of these emotional beats. And again, it's understandable because there's so much going on. And I think they relied a bit on the fact that we've been with these characters for 10 years, that we're going to have that emotional attachment, which is fine. And if you're watching this as like on Netflix and you're binging through everything, it's going to, it's going to improve the movie. Watching this movie directly after Thor Ragnarok and then Black Panther is going to make the movie better. And I think it's going to make it much better when you follow it up with part two right afterwards. But that's getting ahead of myself. So 
then they start to have the battle. And I really love, again, with Maws. Again, Maws is the only villain that really has any serious dialogue. Some of the other villains, the, the female and the male, that kind of go after Vision in this next scene, they have very minor dialogue. But there's nothing really to show as much about the character as far as there is with Maws. Maws even has been talked about with Thanos later. His character is developed a little bit more than anyone else, and he's also the most formidable villain. He's the only one that succeeds in his goal. He actually gets Doctor Strange and takes him away. And then they end up killing him off, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I just It's, it's such a waste because this character is developed, and I think the third act fight in Wakanda is one of the biggest issues with the movie as a whole, and why it kind of fell flat in some instances if you're, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people, with just, or it could have at least been a lot better, but we'll get to that. So they end up, Maul's is a huge, huge struggle, and he ends up actually succeeding again, and I think this fight scene was shot really well. I think, again, the Wakanda scene wasn't shot quite as well at some points, but I think this was shot very well. It was constantly putting you in positions, and moving the fight in such a way that you saw the characters without having to just random cut and you had to kind of you know readjust yourself geographically with where you are with the scene and who's here and who's where. It kept you where you know a character would be thrown into the location of where another battle is going on. And it was very smart about being able to keep you kind of in mind of what's happening at all points in the fight with each character and never feel like you're kind of just jump cutting back and forth to all these people. And I think that's something that the first Avengers did really well, particularly in the last fight scene. And I think this fight scene did it really well also, <laughs> as well as the Hulk stuff. I really enjoyed the Hulk stuff. It's building on upon this and it doesn't do much in the middle, but it pays off at the end. And a lot of time, a lot, this movie does that a lot. It sets up stuff at the beginning and it doesn't do anything with it in the middle and it pays it off at the end. And I don't think they all work or they don't work as well as the Hulk situation. But I think the Hulk situation works best because it is the Hulk by himself only. And it's added into a humorous point when there's actually a fight going on. So that contrast of what's going on in your mind where you, you have a distinct moment of humor in a fight that is much easier for you to remember when instead of here's another emotional point in a long line of emotional points happening with so many characters. Hulk and his struggle is so singular to him that when it gets brought up again at the end of the movie, you're immediately reminded of it and you're it's it's right back in it. And it's more of an emotional or it's more of a humorous thing all the way around but it is a very interesting character arc and I enjoyed it and again this humor fits because it's fitting with the story the entire time it's humorous it's in the middle of a fight but it still kind of works because it's actually it's character driven it's focusing on the character and it's focusing on the story of the character and the story going on where he's trying to come out and he can't come out and all these things are happening and they're actually having to protect him and all of that so then they end up heading off and going to get on the ship with Maws, and they end up flying off. And again, I really loved, basically, I loved all of it up to this point. And again, the Tony thing kind of bothered me, which I mentioned. And, you know, I'm not as much of a humor person, but I know that's Marvel's thing, so I'm not going to say much about their kind of, you know, jokes back and forth between everyone. But 
I do one kind of thing that sticks with me a little bit that's not a big deal but it's kind of like why there's so many different ways you could set this up and it's the Hulk Bruce Banner grabbing the phone and saying I'm gonna make a call and then he hits the button and then pulls up the phone and then it cuts to the Guardians the natural transition there from like a thought or action would be to cut to Cap but they wanted to have the reveal of Cap in the vision scene which is actually not the next scene but the, the one after next but then later you never see the call nothing ever happens and then you have where it goes to uh later on where they're actually at the avengers like kind of home thing and bruce banner kind of appears and he's like yeah it's me i'm back as if like no one would know so like did cap just ignore the call what's the point of having that phone be there like he's going to call it you know, you could have had a more natural transition of he, he goes to, you know, call and then you hear the ringing tone or something and then the ringtone transfers into the alarm clock going off for Vision and Vision kind of pops up. And you won't realize it yet, but that actually kind of fits because it'll have the whole thing with uh, Captain America appearing later. And you could just have a little thing about where are we going to go and he pulls out his phone and it says one missed call, Tony Stark. And he kind of looks at it and it's like, Let's head home. That's it. And then that explains, like, he called. There's a transition that kind of logically makes sense from thought and action to kind of move you to the next scene. But instead, it just kind of hops the Guardians. And it's a little bit of a kind of, oh, and then this is happening. Oh, and this is happening. And this is happening. And it's it doesn't, it kind of loses its flow a little bit, which I think this movie does a bit. Which, again, for the most part, especially right off the bat, you're going to be like, okay, we're just getting all the characters together. But I think ultimately it could have flowed a bit better from point to point if it would have been done and, you know, a little bit better with some of the some of these minor things. This, again, is absolutely minor. But still, let's go to scene three. Now, the Guardians are headed to get to Thor. And it's kind of beacon that you heard them making the call for distress at the very beginning of the movie. But... That's fine. You've got to make a connection to them and it's hard to make a natural transition to them. So it's fine that you've kind of made it this way. But again, with the phone call thing that I mentioned before, you could have had the phone call and you could hear the beeping and that beeping could transfer into the beacon, you know, in Thor's hand as then the guardians appear to rescue him or something along those lines. But again, that's uber nitpicky, nothing that big. So, I'm, you know, again, I like the movie. I don't want to hear like, oh, you're just a hater. And so anyway, so they appear. You get your typical start off. Great introduction with them. They're all singing. It shows that they're mostly getting along a little bit better. And it's kind of transferring on from what happened with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And everything's all well and good. You get Thor. They, it's a good way to make the connection to kind of bring them in. You kind of make the statement of who the Avengers are and they learn who they are. I didn't like the humor in this scene, though. For me, it's like, yeah, sure, it's early on, and you can you can kind of be like, oh, it was funny. And it, it was pretty funny. Like, I laughed, I believe. <laughs> it was funny, which is fine. But my question is, what does this do for the story? It does nothing for the story. What is it setting up for Quill? This doesn't really, you know, what is this doing for him? What is, why is Star-Lord... Like, okay, it's funny. You've got the back and forth with like, oh, you know, Quill's kind of fat now. Like, oh, you need to get in shape. Like, okay, that's funny. But then it's like, why is Gamora rubbing his arms and talking about like how muscular, like she hasn't seen anybody like that? Like her father is Thanos. Is she really in awe of Thor's arm when she 
is the daughter of Thanos. Like she's like she's seen bigger. Like I don't get it's just to bother Quill. But then it doesn't go anywhere with this. There's there's nothing to it. And then it gets work it works Quill up where he kinda like starts trying to, you know, do the voice like Thor. But again, what is this? It's setting up a rivalry for nothing. There's no rivalry. They're not together the rest of the movie. And again, spoiler alert, Quill disappears at the end. So they're not going to be together in the second movie. What is this doing? It's not doing anything for the story. There's no, there's no information that we're learning here. The jokes are put in between the information that we're learning here. So you couldn't do something humorous to kind of fit like uh, Mantis makes a little thing. Oh, Kevin Bacon? Like, ha ha ha. Okay, yeah, that's good. You had the Thor making the comments about calling uh, Rocket Rabbit the entire time. Like, that kind of fits because that's the kind of stuff that Rocket would not be for. And it's kind of establishing their character. It's also establishing the fact that, you know, hey, Rocket's grown a bit. Usually he would just, you know, pull out a bunch of weapons and be ready to kill someone for even saying that. So, like, it has some something to do with the story. This stuff with Quill doesn't. It, it doesn't do anything at all. It's just this moment and then it moves on. For me, it's like, why waste that? You, you've got so many characters going on. You're trying to put together so many different things. This movie's going to be kind of long. It's going to be a two-part thing. You're going to fail on actually trying to put some of these characters in the movie through the whole second act. Like, we'll get to it, but the second act is missing most all of the characters you don't even you get one minute of black panther and wakanda and then you actually ignoring that one minute where all it is is he walks up and says you know it's time for the white wolf to start working and then he gives him his arm that one minute outside of that you don't see black panther or wakanda which is the entire third act battle you don't see them until an hour and a half into the movie which is basically the end of the second act so you don't get them for two acts and then they're supposed to be the emotional moment of the third act but we had time to throw these little back and forth like, you know, two-year-old humor with Quill and Thor. And again, yeah, it was funny, which is fine. But these are talented writers, and there's a lot of funny moments that fit, like the Hulk stuff that I mentioned before. There's a lot of humorous jokes with the Spider-Man, with Peter Parker. There's some, there's humor all throughout this. You didn't need to add stuff like this, where it's just... It doesn't do anything for the story. And that, that's my biggest issue is it doesn't do anything for the story. But what does do something for the story that I, I very much enjoyed is the Thor and Gamora moment. Where you find out that Gamora is, well, we don't find out. Thor finds out that Gamora is Thanos' daughter. And then Thor kind of jumps up and the immediate reaction is, oh crap. You know, he's obviously very fierce. But then he tells her about the struggles with families and about what's going on with his family. And it all kind of, you know, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that connection and the way they kind of get built up. And this also, for me, I believe, and I'll do another video later talking about the structure of the film with kind of the pacing and the acts and all that. I feel like it was, it would be a little bit too nitpicky, or not nitpicky, it would be too long and get into too much detail for this video to do all that. Plus, I think the act structure for this, I've been spending a few days trying to break this down. You could do a very basic three-act structure, but I don't. I think that's too basic for this film. And I think that it's actually very interesting to look at it because I think it actually fits with the two-part and that there's actually a story inside of a story and there's acts inside of acts. And it'll be another video. So um, if you want to watch that... Check around for the next few days because that one will be coming. But for a more basic look, this is kind of where the first act ends. Every 
all the characters now have come together and then they've headed off on their own kind of pat you know mission oh uh, well I take that back. It's right after the next one because the next one's Vision. I keep thinking the Vision scene is before this. And um, see, this is the the flow is just kind of off a little bit. And it makes it, there's not this natural flow to the arcs of how each person ends up meeting. There is a flow, but I think the flow could have been a little bit better. Um, but right now, so you have almost everyone headed off on their own kind of mission. And then that's what leads us into scene four. Now again, this transition is kind of not great for me. And this is why you could have, you would have had probably one transition that would not have been smooth. The connection to the Guardians probably would not have been that smooth. Well, you could have had, now that I think about it, you could have done that transition with the phone call that I mentioned with Cap. And then at the end of it, when they're like, what are we going to do? A cap could be like, does anyone know where Thor's at? And then that could trans to Thor just floating. And that would have been a natural kind of thought transition that then you could have heard the music playing and then it moves the camera in to the Guardians and then exactly how we have it. And then they show up and find Thor. So there you go. There's a smooth transition for you. Got it. Um, but this one with Vision and Scarlet Witch. I like this. And again, this is one of those that's my that I like. And I love where their mind was at, but I think they failed because they got too bogged down with so many stories. And it's understandable, again, completely understandable, but just trying to point out some of the things. Scarlet Witch and Vision, they are emotionally going to have kind of the most climactic emotion of the film at the very end when she's having to actually kill Vision to be able to save the universe. And they start this out with their relationship, and I believe it, I buy it, I'm all in, it's brilliant, it's great, bravo, but then there's not much more with their relationship for the rest of the movie until the very end. There's a, You see her next to him, and you see one or two little moments, particularly one moment at the very beginning of the second act, which is the last time you see them until the third act, where he brings up the fact that she's going to have to kill him, and she's like, absolutely not, but then we don't see them. And then when the battle's going on, you have this one little point where she's kind of standing over him, but then she heads off. And there's not, there's just, they wasted that emotion. The emotion was there at the beginning. It was a great story idea. I just feel like the second act, they kind of lost some of that. There's so many stories. There's like up to seven or eight stories at one time going on in this movie. And when you've got an hour and like 15 scenes in between the last time you saw Scarlet Witch and the Vision together, and this hasn't been something that's been super established that we've seen them together throughout many movies like Iron Man and Pepper Potts or even Gamora and Quill. Then why didn't you bring that in more? Why was it this more of the story? It's the same with like Loki and Thor. We don't need to be reminded of Loki dying. Loki is a character we've seen so many times. We know that emotional moment and Thor brings it up and they bring it up with him and Rocket talking. But there's nothing that kind of reminds us of the Scarlet Witch and Vision. And again, it was an emotional moment. I'm sure everyone was into it when it happened, but I just think it could have been brought up a little bit more. It, it's one of those things where it's like, this movie for a sporting analysis, it, it's kind of like they're gaining a lot of yards for football, American football. <laughs> they're gaining a lot of yards. They're gonna break a record for most yards gained in a game. 
but they end up losing the game because every time they get stopped one yard short of the first down or they get it all the way up to the goal line and then get stopped at the one yard line and don't end up scoring but they gain 99 yards every time they get the ball it, it's kind of like that where it's like they're doing brilliantly and I don't think they lost this game like don't get me wrong I'm just it's an analysis and every where it's a metaphor and every metaphor falls short in some way if you try to break it down but that's just kind of how I feel it's like you know I don't know. It's just one or two little things could have really brought this movie to the very top, in my opinion. But I really liked their connection right off the bat, not jumping too far forward. Right here in this scene, I really like their connection. It gets along. It kind of sets up where it's going, where the discussion of should they have just stayed, you know, they don't, we would rather be together than the, you know, worrying about fighting for the galaxy. Like, you know, let's just have me and you together the kind of conflict in Vision because he's such a good person. And then the immediate shock of him being stabbed in the back, which I love. That was like, whoa, okay, here we go. <laughs> that was not being expected. But here's these villains. Yes, they kind of give Scarlet Witch and they give Vision a little bit of trouble. But for the most part, they never felt as intimidating as Maul's did. And ultimately, in the long run, they don't end up getting them. And they almost end up dead in it. Now, of course, what ends up happening is a lot more people show up at the end. Cap ends up making his appearance. And then you have uh, Falcon, Black Widow. I think that's it. I'm, I may be missing someone. Um, but anyways, you get more people showing up. And then they end up having to leave. But they failed. And But they're going to be the ones that are going to show up at the end. So it's like the, the group that's failed is the group that we're supposed to fear at the end. The group that doesn't really say too much. That's not, you know, you have some dialogue, but it's not it's the same as Maul's. Maul's is the first one talking at the beginning of the movie. Maul's is the second villain that we see in the movie talk. Why do you kill that off? Why couldn't you find an excuse to end up having Maul's be the one at the end? That could have been really interesting. It would have been much more interesting for me. As opposed to more faceless, like this, the way the third act ends, not the Thanos fight on Titan, but on Wakanda, it's the typical Marvel issue that people talk about. That they're not, the villain, they're villains with no characters, and it's tons of faceless villains. It's just, you know, tons and tons of people. It's kind of like the Age of Ultron thing, which a lot of people, myself included, was kind of like, eh. That wasn't great. You know, the ending was like, okay, we've just got tons of droids running after you like crazy. It just, it doesn't kind of have that hit. It doesn't, there should have been more to it. They did brilliantly with Thanos in building up who he is as a villain. And they did brilliantly in the last one with Killmonger and Black Panther of explaining why he wants to be doing what he's doing. But you have these characters, which admittedly have to be just trying to accomplish the task for Thanos. But we get this kind of, with Mauls, we feel like he really wants to please Thanos. Like, that's his greatest desire. Like, he's really, you know, he really wants this to happen. With these other ones, we don't get it. We're we just like, oh, they're, they're just there. Maybe they're like Nebula, and they're just kind of stuck, and they don't really want to be there. But they have to be there. You know, we don't know. And I think that was kind of a point missed and again here them ending up losing and not being able to get vision i understand you had to do that for the story to me it makes them weaker and that hurts in the third act this whole section it's great when it's when it's here but by the end there's not much to it 
so anyways, they, they end up getting together, and then this is essentially, in my mind, what would be the end of Act 1, and if you're trying to put an Act 3 structure on this movie, because we've met all the characters, they all kind of have their mission they're heading off on, and uh, so then we're moving into Act 2, and it's also about 25% of the way into the movie, roughly, which kind of fits with the Act 1 structure break. So then we go into scene five. We see Gamora on her homeland. Now, I think this is, again, since I've been discussing transitions on each one, I think this is a pretty good transition. It's following along with the home comment. You go back to Gamora's home. But this scene, I think, is really, really important for the scope of the entire film and particularly Thanos' story. If you haven't figured it out by now, this isn't an Avengers movie. This is a Thanos movie. This is Thanos is the key storyline and it's a story completely about him and that's what it is all the other characters are kind of just you know on the on the side that Thanos is the story that we're following from point a to point b and this is very important because this is going to set up his philosophy for why he believes what he believes why he's doing what he's doing why you know he truly does have feelings for and loves Gamora and why it's not that he's just this evil big baddie, but he actually believes what he's doing is the best thing for someone. And despite the fact that Gamora doesn't see this as love, he sees this as love. And he sees that she's just the little one that doesn't quite, you know, understand what he understands. And he's okay with that because he saved her and he saved her people. And it has a really, really nice transition. I'll just kind of continue. This is kind of going into scene six. Where Gamora's, you know, young Gamora's got it on her finger. And that kind of match cuts to, you know, grown Gamora with the timeline that we're following now. Holding the same thing. And then she begins to talk to Quill. And I really like this scene. I really like this discussion. It's setting up again that the people that we love, they're going to have to kill their own person that they love to save everyone else. Which is interesting. It's an interesting thing because it plays into all throughout the movie. Thanos is killing a bunch of people. To save everyone. And these are people that he doesn't even know. Yet, it's constantly shown throughout the movie that the people that we love are supposed to kill someone they love to save the galaxy. It's very interesting philosophically. It's very... It, I like the way they've done it. And I think these are some of the things that people are missing when they're just kind of complaining about the movie and saying there's not much to it. But there actually is. It's just... It kind of passes by, and that's the you know the problem with so many people in so many stories. But I think they kind of hit that point on many different characters enough to show that that's definitely kind of their thesis that they had. This kind of you know the play that they're doing with the fact that Thanos, this villain that we're seeing, that's supposed to be the bad guy, is not really that bad. He's just doing bad because he's kind of following the wrong idea for the solution and his solution is kind of this crazy one that most of us would find insane but and it fits again with the killmonger thing along the lines of like you know hey we understand where you're coming from and we understand why you're doing this but uh maybe you've taken it a step too far with kind of your way to solve everything and that's i loved killmonger and i love thanos in this and I love the fact that they're bringing up these at multiple points. I believe it's with three characters that end up actually trying to make the same decision that Thanos is doing in the sense that they're going to kill someone that they love to save the entire universe, which is Thanos' thing. 
The problem I have here with this scene, the Quill and Gamora stuff, great. I love it. You know, it starts off with Quill kind of joking around, and that's fine. It's setting up the moment. It's setting up, he's humorous, he's playing around, not taking anything serious. That's his character. And then she's going to kind of straighten him out and be like, no, this, this is serious. And then he plays it serious from that point on. So I'm fine with that. Again, I'm not anti-humor. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, everyone's straight face. This needs to be like, you know, there will be blood where we, you know, everything's got to be just dark and brooding the entire time. Uh, which I would love, but I understand you can't do that. But she talks about this secret that she has, and that's why she needs to be killed. The secret to me, maybe this is just me, and this this could be nitpicky to an extent. This isn't no big deal, but just it's my review on my feelings. So here we go. Um, it's, it wasn't enough of a payoff. You talk about like, oh, I've got this secret, the secret he can't find out, but he already knows you've got it. So like. It just it doesn't seem, it seems like it could have been done a little bit better. The way it's discussed that there's a secret, I feel like this is going to be this moment where it's going to be this reveal of like, ha, I've had this secret and now you're screwed because of this. But it's not. It's just like, oh, I know you got a secret. Tell me or I'll hurt your sister. Okay, here's my secret. It's kind of like, that's what you had to have Quill kill you for? Like, why, not, why couldn't it just be like, hey, you got to kill me because I know stuff and he's going to, you know, he's going to hurt me to get the information, so it'd be better off if you just kill me. And then it's like, okay. And then we see that it's the sister that gets hurt instead, and that's why she turns in. It's like, fine. Maybe nitpicky. Maybe nitpicky. I'm sure it will be, because that's me. But, so they have the discussion. Then the next part, of, that's just my one little thing with the scene. And then the next part, I'm going to combine these three scenes, scene five, six, and seven together, because they all are following kind of Gamora's story. And particularly with pieces of the Thanos, even though they're three different locations. Um, but I will call them scenes five, six, and seven. But at the end of this scene, when they're still in the ship, it then cuts to Drax. Drax is hilarious. He was funny. This bit was funny. I mean, it was really funny. But what's it doing for the story? And I, not only do I think this one doesn't do anything for the story, I think it hurts the story. And I think it hurts Drax's character. Drax's character has become nothing but just this joke. You know, like, it's all he is. He's just joking. God's throughout the entire time. It doesn't fit at all. So he makes a joke. And again, it's funny. Don't hate on me. It's funny. But how much better would it be if you're trying to follow this movie that is kind of this, not kind of, very emotional, tragic story? Shouldn't it be the goal to keep that emotion up whenever possible that... You shouldn't be trying to like place humor in between these moments. Because what happens from her story about Thanos and Quill needing to kill her is them going and meeting Thanos in the scene where Quill's going to have to decide whether or not to kill her. But you're going to cut it with this moment of like, oh, ha, 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 you can't see me. I mean, it's funny. Again, it's funny. Talk about, I'm a Star Wars channel, Last Jedi, not funny. This was funny. It just didn't fit the moment. It would have been more fitting. They're heading to go get Thanos. This is the thing that when we met, first met Drax, he was 100% focused on what's going on, or 100% focused on trying to kill Thanos. That's all he cares about, anything and everything. And now he's hearing a conversation between Gamora and Quill about Thanos and about how Quill needs to kill Gamora. Wouldn't it have been fitting if he would have been like, they see him there, he's like, how long have you been there? Oh, an hour, haha. But like it's said funny because he always says everything straight, but he's a he's serious, and he's like, 
don't worry, I won't let you lose your loved one. I lost mine. I will kill Thanos. The second we get there, I will kill him. Like, that should be his desire. That should be his passion. It should be fitting to his character. That should be everything he's focused on. And then it keeps the tension for that moment, for when they go to the next moment, and they begin to walk forward and they see Thanos. And you have that scene as it's being built up. To keep that, the sneaking around, the tension's up the entire time. But instead of the tension being up, you had this humorous moment with Drax, and now you have the moment where Quill's trying to tell him to stop, and they keep, like, it's not serious. It's not, there's not tension in this moment. There should be tension in this moment. This is the Guardians. This is Gamora seeing Thanos. They've got to stop him from getting the reality, Jim. This should be a tense moment, but they keep cutting it, and I particularly hate with Drax because it does nothing for the story, and it actually hurts his story. And it hurts because then, immediately after, what's the first thing he does? I've got to kill Thanos because of what he did to my wife. Why now? Why didn't you say something 10 minutes ago? Why was you, you, Mr. Jokebox over here, like, you you know, working on your bit for Netflix? Like, why? That That's my problem with some of this humor, that they kind of have to feel like they put in. And I wish it wasn't there because it would have done more for this story. It would have done more for Drax. It would have made Drax more than just a one-note character throughout this movie and I think it's unfortunate because I like his character but anyway so they're going through and I, I really love the rest of the scene ignoring what happened and that's what bothers me I like the two scenes right you know on the ends of you know scene five and scene six or you know scene six and scene seven yeah I'm just getting confusing at this point <laughs> ultimately you get there and Gamora shows up and just ends up bossing it and killing Thanos and when I first saw this, I was like, oh, here we, you know, it was, I think it dragged a hair long on the like, oh, and then you get Quill making a joke being like, that was quick, like, which is what everyone was thinking. And I didn't like the joke um, in that one again, but fine, whatever. I'm anti-joke. I know I am. I know that's what everybody's going to say. You know, you just fake killed the biggest guy and you have this kind of like, you know, it's already a superhero movie, so you're already worried, like, you know, people are going to be like, oh, you can't really kill anyone because everyone's going to come back, so you fake it. But if it wouldn't have dragged on as long, you wouldn't have had that little joke. I actually like this because it does a lot for the story. The reality is, Jim, instead of giving exposition on every little thing, you're explaining what the reality gem can do by showing it to us visually. And it's also showing Thanos that Gamora actually kind of cares. Even though she hates him, she still loves him in a sense because after she kills him, she breaks down and she's starting to cry. And it really tells Thanos, yeah, she doesn't fully just hate you. Like, there's some love there. And which makes it later when he has to kill Gamora even more emotional because she's always said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. But like now he knows deep down she does love him. And that makes it even harder what he has to do. And I I really like this moment. I love this. This was actually very important. So this kind of like fake out, I'm fine with. Because it's one of those where you're setting up something and the payoff is so much greater. And so it's so worthwhile. But the reality, Jim... As a whole, instead of getting it and having to explain to the audience what it is, it's shown immediately. Where he immediately fakes down, it's like, you know, I can create whatever reality I want. And you've seen that happen because he uses the reality gem a lot and a lot of different times. And it's never had to explain again. It's immediately just shown to you, ah, that's the reality gem again. And I think that was brilliant for the story. I think that was very, very well done. And then you have the scene with Quill and Gamora. And I love 
I love this setup. I love the way it's done. I love the fact of how Thanos kind of understands the struggle that he's going through, how he talks about how hard of a thing this is to ask of Quill because it's going to be asked of him later. Again, there's so many little things that I think is very brilliantly set up in this. So if you can't tell, I'm not hating on this. I'm, I'm nitpicking little things because I think that I, I like doing deeper analysis than some people do. Um, but I don't hate this. I think it's very brilliantly done. And actually, some of the stuff I'm kind of thinking of as I'm discussing it right now, even though I took like 50 pages worth of notes and tried to break down everything, sometimes you just figure it out in the moment. But I really enjoyed that. And of course, Quill then ends up trying to kill, uh, kill her. And it doesn't work. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's a gut shot to everyone. And he has to sit with the fact that she knows he tried to kill her. And that could be kind of taken either which way. Um, but then she reveals like she she loves him. This is, you know, this is something that's gone over with Guardians 1 and 2 where they've kind of had this, you know, thing. And it's never fully been expressed. And it was very much kind of like, you know, uh, Han and Leia in Empire Strikes Back. It's this moment of death or possible death that brings them to finally admit their true feelings for each other. And I, that just came to me. Actually, I kind of really like that. Um, but I, I enjoyed that. And then, of course, you know, Thanos pulls out and everyone else kind of gets brought back. Because I guess because he's gone with the reality gem that returns to normal reality. And they're perfectly fine. Which, the fact that Thanos doesn't really kill anybody or hurt anybody, it's uh, it works two ways. Um, ultimately, it's done because Thanos could just destroy everyone if you wanted, and the movie wouldn't work. Um, In-universe, it's to me that he's not a bad guy. He's not this evil villain that just wants to kill everyone. He doesn't want to kill anyone outside of who it is. As he said when he's talking later to Doctor Strange, impassionate, disconnected, completely fair and equal, the way that it's chosen who, who dies and who lives. That this is to be a savior. That this is to save the galaxy. And so when he's fighting these Avengers, he doesn't want to kill them. He wants to just stop them from being you know, a thorn in his side. But ultimately, he doesn't want to hurt them because this isn't, this isn't the goal. He doesn't want to kill people. He wants to save people. He's going to snap his fingers and let everyone disappear. But that's not his choice. He's not taking lives. He's saving lives. And it's, it's very interesting. And at first viewing... I was kind of like, yeah, why does he always have, but in-universe explanation, that would be, in my mind, you know, why he does what he's doing. And I think it fits for his character and develops his character even more. Now, going to scene eight. We have Cap and his Avengers coming in, and we see Rhodey. And Rhodey's talking, and it's this discussion of the Wachovia Accords, which this is like... I mean, I guess you're trying to, again, make sure that the audience understands what's going on, why they've been gone, you know, if you haven't been paying attention with Captain America's Civil War. But the fact that they discuss, oh, we need to arrest Captain America and Black Widow and all these characters, when they know Tony's gone and they just had a huge attack and they know what's been going on and they say the world is on fire but they're like don't think we want to arrest you what are you going to let the whole world burn down this is to me this is dumb why have him there why not just let Rhodey be like you know they're probably not going to like let it be theory somewhat theoretical instead of being like hey that idiot's making a stupid decision that's going to kill us all because 
of pride, I guess, that he doesn't want to be like, okay, we forgive, you know, we, you know, we screwed up. Come please save us, Captain America. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then you have Hulk showing up and you have Hulk have the moment where he discusses that, hey, I'm back. Yeah, shocker or whatever. The fact that there was no phone call at all, like, did he not reach? I mean, I guess you could say Cap didn't answer Tony's thing. But to me, it was kind of like just kind of a story note that they kind of just, with everything else going on, just kind of forgot about or got left on the cutting room floor or something. I, I don't know, but nitpicky me noticed it, and it kind of bothered me a little bit, small amount. Um, so then they have the discussion. Rhodey, of course, is like, you know, hey, uh, um, I'm not going to arrest y'all. But then he says, we don't, we can't be here. And they start making the discussions about what are they going to do. And that's when Vision says, you're going to have to kill me. And so this is, again, another note about we're going to have to kill someone we love to save everyone else. The Thanos thing. And then there's a discussion with Cap where Cap says, no, we don't trade lives. So it's Cap on the opposite side of Thanos, um, which I think is great. But also Cap ends up. Cap, the reason Cap did this, the, the choice that Cap's anti this, that we don't trade lives, is what ends up causing everyone to get die. So the, the question is, is, is Thanos right? It's not being black and white only. They're putting it on sides. They're putting a lot of gray in there. And you kind of have to have that debate with yourself as well. What is the best decision? Do we not trade lives? Do we, do we let it play itself out? Do we, are we willing to sacrifice one life for everyone else? As Vision said, Cap would do it. If it was his life, he would take his life in a second to save everyone. So it's it's a bit hypocritical, but it's also understandable because he's the, the pure hero and he will, you know, he, he'll die, but he won't let anyone else die. But then that repercussion ends up coming back later where it ends up hurting everyone. So again, I, I like this. Philosophically, the story, the questions it asks, the stuff it's digging into, I really enjoy I just, these minor things that I'm bringing up that just keep me from giving it a higher grade. But again, I understand the Russo Brothers, Bravo, you did great. You got some of my favorite movies in the Marvel, you know, the, the last two Captain America movies. Bravo, absolutely brilliant. Love Winter Soldier, um, really like Civil War. And, um, you know, for the challenge you had here, huge challenge, great job. I mean, I'm not sitting here trying to act like, oh, I would have done so much better. I'm saying... I've got the ability to look at what they did with a brilliant movie and pick out minor little things and make little adjustments. I'm a nobody <laughs> that, that thinks he has some decent ideas to slightly make a really good movie better. Um, so that's where I'm at. So don't try to act like I'm sitting here like, these guys are terrible and I'm better than all of them. Because uh, that's not the case. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with positive criticism that's trying to you know make it better because you care about it. And I've never really cared about Marvel, but I'm starting to. And I'm getting interested in what's going on here. And so I want to put those pieces together. But enough about that. Then it goes into scene. They're going to go and meet in Wakanda. You know, uh, Cap says he knows somebody. And then it cuts to this one minute little clip of you got Black Panther going up to the White Wolf and giving him his arm. I hate this, man. This is one of the things that starts doing in the second act. We're in the second act now, depending on how you want to act structure it. It could be five act structure, whatever. We're just going to pretend it's a three act structure because that's how most people understand it until I break it down into all the possibilities of what it could be. But we're in the meat of the story. 
and it starts to make these short little cuts and I don't I don't like this the pacing was very evenly structured from the very beginning as you're building up the characters I feel like these little bitty pieces just didn't quite fit like you know okay you had Cap and Tony aren't talking well no that wouldn't work because Tony's gone so never mind scratch that but <clears throat> why why couldn't you just leave it open why did you have to cut to Wakanda for like a second and then it's another 45 minutes before we get there and again why did you have to use the Wakanda stuff like not go there for an hour and a half and the reason they did it was because Black Panther was the last movie which works if you're Netflix binging it like when you go and rewatch this and you go to you know watch all the movies prior before Avengers Infinity War Part 2 you're going to it's going to it's going to work better because you're going to have all of what happened with Wakanda right in your head as you transition into watching this movie but most people don't have that because most people haven't seen Black Panther in a few weeks so it's not as fresh and you're in the moment and there's so many stories going every which way there needed to be more stuff with Wakanda especially the way it is in the third act but we'll touch on that when we get to that now scene nine here we're back to tony dr strange and malls now this is frustrating to me again it's a good scene i like malls um he talks about that he's never failed thanos again we're setting him up as he's the best of the other villains so why you're about to kill him off just i don't understand it the one thing that i don't get where there's two things in this scene where it's like they create this dilemma that's not really there, that there's not really an issue. And one of them is that Maul says that if he can't get the gem off of Doctor Strange, that there's going to be judgment for him from Thanos. That's just not, why would that be the case? He's, you know, he's the only one that's able to even get the gem back to Thanos. Um, he can bring it like Thanos would not be mad it's even shown by Thanos when he gets to Titan and Doctor Strange is there and he says well at least Maul succeeded in getting the gem to me so even Thanos sees it as a success so why is Maul talking about that it's you know there's this you know if I don't get it there's going to be judgment for you for me not really it doesn't why would you think that would be the case and it doesn't suggest it with the rest of the story that that would be the case Maul's technically handed him the stone from Loki, but really he didn't. He didn't, you know, he didn't do nothing to really bring it to him. So why is it if he brings him Doctor Strange with the necklace there, why is that going to be like, oh, you failed me? And it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit. But then you got the stuff with Tony and Spider-Man, Peter Parker. And I enjoy this. I love all the stuff with Peter Parker and Tony. And so Peter Parker has another idea, a nice little throwback to Civil War. And they end up saving him, and it also kind of reveals something that Peter Parker has, which is smart because he's going to use it a lot in the battles coming up later. So it's smart to show it in a moment where there's not too much going on, that he's actually got the ability for the mechanical legs to come out and be able to hold him and protect him. But then it's you wasted Maul's. You just, you, he's done for. The best person other than Thanos as a villain against our the people we're following is now gone because reasons like I mean I get it I don't know how they could fix this and how Maul's could still be alive but it should have been done it should have had something where Maul's could have been the one that was still around then this is a second kind of false dilemma that I have going where they create this kind of issue or confrontation that doesn't make any sense 
They just saved Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange is fighting and arguing with Tony. And he's like, how, you know, I can't even imagine how you get your head into that helmet. Like, what? No, he saved you. Tony is 100% right here. I get that Strange and Tony should butt heads because they're very similar, both kind of cocky, don't need any help. They're brilliant. They're smarter than everyone. I get that. But this creation of like, oh, you know, I don't need to thank you. You didn't really do anything. I had everything handled. Like, you know, I, you weren't right. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. And it's this kind of, it's just this fake confrontation so that you never expect the reveal later where Doctor Strange saves him. But their personalities are naturally set to conflict and go against each other. So the fact that you're trying to set this up and make it like, oh no, you know, Tony, you got this big head, you got this, and you know, how dare you? I'm not like everyone else. Like, it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't seem like what would really happen in a situation like this. Here's where another little moment that I would add in with Peter Parker and Tony and the father-son thing that could have been being built up to add the emotion later. You have the funny moment. Again, this fits with the story where Peter Parker says, you know, ask him who he is. And he says, I'm Dr. Strange. He goes, oh, we're using fake names now. I'm Spider-Man. It's funny and it fits with the moment. So again, I'm not anti-humor. I'm just anti-humor that takes away from the story and what's going on. And this again is a good moment for humor because they're trying to discuss where they're going, what's the next step, what's the idea, what's the plan. It's not in the middle of some super emotional moment or some, you know, kind of suspenseful moment. There's no tension being torn here. But then Doctor Strange makes the comments and goes, who's who's this? Is this, I can't remember exactly what he says, but um, you know, he says, you know, who's this, who's he to you? You know, why not say, what's this, like your mini-me? Or who's this, is this your kid or something like that? Like, you know, something along those lines to make that connection to show like, hey, you know, what, you know, building up that father-son relationship kind of idea that should have been started with Pepper Potts at the very beginning. So you're building this emotion even deeper to kind of put titles on it. Sometimes telling can emphasize the showing later with the emotion. Sometimes you need to tell these things to really hammer these things home so that when you just show it at the end, it really means. And you could have said that and kind of had shown a remark on like Peter Parker's face like, oh man, yeah. You know, he thinks like I'm his son. That's like such a big compliment. Like that's, that's awesome. Like you could have done something along those lines and then you know, you could have had Tony kind of toss it off or whatever, but then there he has that kind of feeling of like he feels bad because he saw Peter Parker's reaction when he kind of just tossed it away where he was like, ah, oh, you know, feel bad about that. And that's when he goes, you know, I now name you an Avenger and you have that kind of bring back the happiness that's in Peter Parker. But I felt like that was a moment that could have been done there that could have added something to the rest of the story and what's going on with the characters and particularly Iron Man and Spider-Man because of that moment at the end, so emotional, and it could have added to it. And this is another point in the steps where you could have done something to cause that to happen without changing anything. You're not adding to the story. You're making fine little adjustments to make this emotionally more meaningful. Also, you've got the Doctor Strange thing that puts in another one where he talks about like he won't save someone because he's going to save the entire galaxy. This is another dilemma similar to Thanos, where he's willing to let some people die to save everyone else. And I like this on many, many different little kind of points where one is Thanos, 
or one is that Doctor Strange is put in the same situation as Thanos to make the decision he has no issue. I'll, I will let you die. I will let people die to be able to save the galaxy, much like Thanos is doing. But also, it sets up this like, hey, I'm not going to save you. I'm going to save the universe. Any decision I make is to save the universe, which really plays huge in later when we see these decisions being made that would seem to contradict that. But ultimately, I don't think are contradicting that at all. And these are some key little notes put in here that I think are really smart parts of the story. Again, smart storytelling for 90% of this movie. Actually, as I'm discussing it, I might be moving my B closer to a B plus with the way this movie's done. But again, I'll talk about more later. But I think part two is going to really make this movie... It's going to tell whether or not this movie is something really special or just a decent movie that we watched. But I will cut that off right there because that's an hour in and I don't want to go too long for this. I went over two and a half hours, I believe, for my last Jedi video. And this is already at an hour and we've still got a good bit to go. So I'm gonna cut it off and I'm gonna put these into parts. Uh, I didn't do that before, but a lot of other people have done it. So I'm going to do it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it so far. The part two will be out tomorrow. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and film it tonight, but it's so much space to upload. My internet is not great. And that would take like a day to upload in one little internet issue and it's gone. So I'm just going to do this right here at the hour point and hopefully only do three parts. I hope you've enjoyed it. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and opinions down below. Also down below there will be a link to my T Public page for this shirt and a few other shirt designs that I have. If you enjoy them or like them that would be absolutely great. If not also my Instagram and Twitter I will have linked. I just started those, so there's nothing there. But if you want to keep up with what's going forward, I'm kind of thinking, for those of you that's been following my channel, I've always been a Star Wars channel. I'm not happy with where Star Wars has been at right now. And I've actually kind of enjoyed the Marvel thing. And because this big movie happened, and then there's another one a year from now, I think I'm going to start doing like 60-40, like 60% Star Wars and like 40% Marvel. And I'm going to kind of start doing what I've been doing with Star Wars, is breaking down some of the old movies, breaking down this movie, and then also going through the comics and stuff that's going on leading into the next Avengers Infinity War. So if you're a Marvel fan and you're looking at this and it's all Star Wars stuff, um, this, I'm actually looking towards kind of combining the two. So if you liked it, you enjoy it, you like the video, uh, maybe subscribe and we can get into some of the breaking down in-depth discussion about Marvel, just like I've been doing about Star Wars. And if you're a Star Wars fan and you don't like Marvel, don't worry, I'm still going to be doing Star Wars as well. I'm going to be kind of cutting them up together. And, uh, so anyways, that's, I'm going to close it off here. Don't want to go any longer than I'm going. Thank you again, as always, for watching. And never forget you nerf herders. I love you.